Hello, welcome to the National Trust podcast. I'm Michelle Douglas, Assistant Podcast Producer at the National Trust. In our last episode, we brought you a story of how bringing nature into your home can create a sense of calm and comfort in times of crisis. This time, we're turning your attention to the nature outside your home. When you open your window or on those rare occasions we're permitted to go outside during lockdown, one sound that is defining is that of birdsong. Especially in the mornings, the dawn chorus can quite literally be music to our ears. And more than ever, people are stopping to wonder just who are those members of this high-pitched morning choir. So, if you'd like to get more acquainted with your suburban soprano, your treetop tenor, or your back garden baritone, help is at hand. In his book, Everyday Nature, author and National Trust Midlands director Andy Beer gives us a tip a day on how to get a deeper connection with nature. And in this episode, he shares the surprising method he chose to get a front row seat to one of nature's greatest live events. So all nature books have got this phrase in them saying, if you're really lucky, you might see a glimpse of the Dartford warbler or something like that, which is absolutely no use if you just started learning. The chances are you won't. If you want to see rare stuff, you need to go with an expert to where those things hang out and look where they're pointing. So why would we start by asking people to do something they can't achieve? The starting idea for the book is you don't have to know what something is in order to appreciate it. Having said that, it does help. Learning a bird song means you see a bird more often. It took me ages to learn bird song. You kind of need to just learn one thing. If you can get familiar with one tune, then you hear things before you see them. And so you think, oh, there's a great tit around. And then you look up and there they are. April 11th, Willow Warbler. Try setting a bird song as your ringtone. This month it has to be Willow Warbler, a rapid descending trill that, according to Edward Gray, Viscount of Flodden, was soft as summer rain. It can be really hard to tune into the songs of birds, but if you can get to know the song of a Willow Warbler, then it is a delight to hear the first of the year, usually for me on an early April day. They're close cousins of the chiffchaff, whose call I hope you heard in March. You probably won't see one. They're another pale, brownish, skulking type. Each year, a huge wave of willow warblers floods in from Europe, filling woods and parks with their song. The flaw in this plan, of course, will arise if you happen to receive an urgent call while surrounded by a spring chorus of willow warblers. There's a spring calendar of bird songs that arrive, which are the birds that sweep in from southern Europe and South Africa in a miraculous thing, this great migration. Every year I wait with bated breath to see if they're going to make it back and worry if they're a, a couple of weeks late. It begins for me normally with the chiff-chaff. Later on in March and early in April you get another wave, the willow warbler. And then house martins, the beautiful birds that nest under the eaves of houses with a sort of chattering sound to their voice. 
and then swallows again even more talkative and a bit more graceful than the house martins with long streaming tails and then later in the month another bird named for its song which is the cuckoo which is a sound that we all know but hear all too rarely now and last of the spring arrivals for me is the swift which really marks a sunny summer evening with gangs of old and young swifts screaming around the town making a screaming noise like a squadron of fighters one of my favorite summer birds This keeps happening to me. I was walking around um, um, Croft Castle, an amazing woodland, with, and I thought, blimey, there's a willow warbler. <laughs> and um, then it dawned on me my phone was ringing. Even if you're not very good with sounds, everybody knows the song of their phone tweeting. It's about building nature into your life, isn't it? So why not take a leaf out of Andy's book and change your ringtone to help you learn the sounds of the dawn chorus? If you like the idea of using technology to help you experience the wonders of the natural world, you may be interested in our live mass participation music experience called Dawns. We've teamed up with interactive artists non zero one to create a free performance which marries the majesty of nature, the exhilaration of live music and the power of human voice, which you can experience from the comfort of your own home. On the 16th of May, through windows, on balconies and in gardens across the UK, people will be coming together to experience a unique art project called Dawns. This year, as we mark our 125th anniversary, we've been looking back to the beginnings of the National Trust and our founder for the original vision of the organisation. Here's Annie Riley, Head of Producing at the National Trust. I was reflecting a lot on connecting people to nature the ideas around the things that our founders were really committed to and to celebrate 125 years of this extraordinary organization. There felt something right about working on an experience that could be had by many people. We knew this wasn't something we could stage by ourselves, so we brought in interactive artists non-Zero One, who we knew were the right people to make this happen. I've worked with Non-Zero One before, so when I was interested in doing a project, they felt like the right group of artists to me to make sense of what was a vague notion. Here's John Hunter, Non-Zero One's production lead. National Trust came to us with three words, rooftops at dawn. From there, we came towards the concept of putting audiences in places where they could have fantastic views and with the visual element being so masterfully taken care of by nature itself, we thought we could add an audio element like music made especially with dawn in mind. So within a short space of time, the concept of dawns was born. There's a common assumption that dawn is the moment when we see the sun rise up over the horizon. The reality is that dawn is a constant wave of darkness and light that continually sweeps across the globe. Even within the UK, there can be a difference of over an hour from when the residents of John O'Groats in the far northeast of the UK experience dawn to that of the residents at Land's End in the far southwest, where dawn leaves the UK and continues on out into the Atlantic Ocean. The idea was very much that dawns would take place at National Trust and some associated sites. 
Dawn started to take shape as a musical performance, with musicians and narrator placed at strategic points across the 700-mile trajectory that Dawn takes as it sweeps across the UK. We would invite people to come together to experience Dawns in a group setting. The British Isles were split into six Dawn Zones, six diagonal masses of land that represent a wave of time as Dawn tracks across the UK. Within each Dawn Zone, we would place a musician at a National Trust property who would mark the passing of the Dawn with a musical accompaniment. As the daylight arrives with each musician, they begin to play their part of a score and of a musical collaboration that they've created through working with the composer, James Bully. The narrator will also be talking us through the experience and also giving us ways to remember that there are other people out there taking part. Everything was on track and was mostly going to plan, up until we hit March. As the coronavirus crisis grew, we thought, can we even do this anymore? Is it still dawns if we don't have the musicians playing live in front of audiences? If we aren't literally bringing people together in spaces, in the outdoors, in cities and towns in the countryside? It became very clear to us that the essence of the project, the, the exploration of our connection to nature, the exploration of light and dark, the exploration of togetherness and difference and the ability to experience something simultaneously that is completely individual, yet is also entirely bound up in the reality of many people doing that thing at once. All of that felt more relevant, um, more prescient and actually more powerful than it ever had before. There's a real appetite for any kind of experience that can be delivered and not be lesser for the fact that you're not there in person, but actually take advantage of, for example, technology in order to make it a strong and engaging experience. At the National Trust, we're well known for our houses, gardens, tea shops and the great outdoors. However, art and the National Trust is not always an obvious connection. But now, at a moment when the doors of our properties and tea shops are closed, and gates to our car parks remain locked. Art is one of the ways we're able to connect our members and supporters with the essence of what we do as an organisation. For me, the way that I as a person living now make sense of things like the natural world and history and people's lives and places and bits of history that feel quite distant from me, artists can help make sense of that can help connect the richness of our stories and of our natural world. Dawn's is a really good example of something that brings so many benefits of being able to connect people, remind them that they're not alone. And we can share in some of the things that haven't changed. The sun still comes up. It still goes from spring to summer. There are some things that sort of remain unchanged and constant and Dawn's is, you know, an opportunity to be reminded of that. We know that when we're really just surviving, uh, things like art and going to galleries or the theatre and listening to live music can be seen as perhaps less essential 
but art is a way of perhaps taking your mind to places that it wouldn't ordinarily go. So Dawn's is still going ahead. But even before lockdown, it wasn't a performance that was going to be easy. When you're writing a brand new piece of music designed to last about an hour, your default choice would not be spread them out over 700 miles and give them no opportunity to even meet one another beforehand, let alone rehearse with one another. But since lockdown, it's become even more complicated. Musicians have had to take on a lot more than they'd bargained for. Audio engineer, camera person, streaming engineer. The challenges are huge. It's quite exciting, but I know that everyone's putting in so much effort that I think it's going to be fantastic. Yes, there is an element of peril, but at the same time, I think we've done all we could to ensure that it goes smoothly and goes to plan. Then there's the small issue that to coordinate with the actual dawn, that performance will start at 3.43. That's 3.43 a.m. I think our appetite as a nation for joining in with things that maybe wouldn't have made sense or wouldn't have fit in with our schedules <laughs> has absolutely grown because everyone's life is so profoundly different. I was talking to a friend who said to me, now it sort of makes perfect sense to me that I'm going to be getting up at 3.30 in the morning on a Saturday to listen to some musicians play the dawn in across the UK. Hmm, still not convinced? Let's give it one last try. It is a unique one-time experience that is rooted in the natural world and also has now become rooted in the reality of our lives as they are at the moment, having to be separated from so many people. But it's still wanting to find ways to come together. To find out how you can get involved and to sign up for front row tickets to the Dawn's performance, go to www.dawns.live. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with inspiring audio to help ease you through your lockdown. But until then, you can listen to our back catalogue of over 100 episodes across seven podcast series. Just go to nationaltrust.org.uk forward slash podcasts. So until next time, from me, Michelle Douglas, goodbye.